0: listening to the ACB Advocacy Update.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Updates. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind and my, I wanted to call my lovely co-host, but I don't know if that fits. I have to come up with another term, but my co-host is...
0: Sorry Claire, you can use charming... Smart, um, dapper, especially Dapper, humble. yeah. <laughs> and humility might be my greatest quality. <laughs> um, and, and this is Clark Rockwell, ACB's ad a director of advocacy and governmental affairs. Um, thanks to everyone who is joining us over ACB Radio, as well as and probably
1: as, uh, laughing at us right now,
0: <laughs> streaming over your favorite podcast player. You can always find out more about ACB at www.acb.org or shoot us an email with any advocacy questions. That email address is advocacyacb.org. And for now and through the rest of 2020, thank you to Sprint T Mobile for sponsoring ACB's podcasts.
1: That's, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Sprint T Mobile. We appreciate it. So today, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. What are we going to talk about, Clark? Are we just going to hang out for a while and shoot the breeze?
0: I think that's basically it, Claire. I mean, there's, okay. there's a lot going on, um, but it all is related to
1: Wait, one, Clark, one overarching on. issue. Hold on. There's a lot yeah. going on in the world right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> Nothing's going but- on. Claire, 2020 has been a very easy year nothing's going on in 2020.
0: Claire have you just been you know hiding out in your house all day for like the last I don't know five months?
1: <laughs> I think we've all been hiding out in house <laughs> for the last five months. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah there's that whole coronavirus COVID-19 thing going on huh that's right yeah I almost forgot. Because, you know, you don't hear about it every day, all day on the news, everywhere, huh? Right, yeah?
0: exactly. <laughs> and, and that's really caused, uh, caused us all to make some changes and reevaluate you know, how we go about our daily routines, but also the systems and structure that we have in place and how we interact with one another in society as a whole.
1: For sure, and you know, just to take that a step farther, it's definitely impacted those of us who are blind and visually impaired, and those who have just general disabilities. It's really started to rock, you know, the foundation of a lot of these public services, Um, politics, the government, that kind of thing. It's really had a, you know, an impact on those of us who are blind and visually impaired in the way we interact with the system and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So for today's podcast, uh, we just wanted to run through the areas of focus that ACB, both national, as well as our affiliates, um, our partners in the cross-disability community, and even our individual members, um, what they're concerned about, the issue areas that they're working to address and improve and ensure a level of quality in services. Um, and also the the work that still needs to be done. There's certainly been some great progress that has been made, but as we all know, uh, accessibility and inclusion is a journey and the destination is
1: somewhere out there. Beautiful metaphor. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Um, So we're going to talk about several different issues today that we've kind of flagged along the way, but that does not mean that this is the final list of issues going on. We know there are so many more. Um, So if we don't talk about it, that doesn't mean it's not important. And if we don't talk about it, it might not have come to our attention, but we want to know. So again, feel free to reach out to us at advocacy at ecb.org and flag those issues for us so we can start doing more work in that area. Cool. Well, shall we jump in Clark?
0: Let's do it. What What do you got first, Claire?
1: Um, well, I know one of the first things I have on my list is education, and I know it's something we've done a previous podcast about, so we won't uh, take too long to talk about it, but I think it's a really important topic always to talk about because COVID has definitely impacted education as far as K through 12, and then, you know, higher education, the university setting. Um, Congress has done several different hearings on these issues, so I don't know if we want to take a, a minute. Again, not belabor the point, but How has COVID impacted um, education? I mean, it's no problem there, right? Smooth sailing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Um, I think we've heard from a lot of students and uh, teachers and parents um, that when when their kids left for spring break, you know, they thought that they'd be back in the following week or a week after that. Um, And then lo and behold, schools shut down for the semester. Or they moved everything um, to just on the fly to a virtual setting. Um, and that really upended the entire system.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know one thing that um, Gabe Lopez Cafati had talked about when he spoke on one of our past episodes, specifically highlighting education that I thought was super interesting was access to assistive technology because we live, we definitely live in a generation where assistive technology makes all the difference for those of us who are blind and visually impaired. Um, and a lot of universities fortunately in 2020 have access to a lot of assistive technology but when you're no longer on campus you don't have access to that AT and that AT can really make a difference depending on what courses you're taking and what you're doing so there's this you know Um, disconnect now between the university having what you need or I'm sure even in K-12 the school district's having what you need but now if you're not in that place you can't access that AT and so suddenly you don't have the tools at your fingertips to really get out of your education what you need.
0: Yeah and even if you do have those tools at your fingertips um, it's rare that students have the one-on-one or Mm in-person training to use that assistive technology properly. Um, There have been great strides in screen sharing and the ability of AT instructors, as well as um, other teachers to be able to screen share and even help control the user's screen to walk them through the proper use of AT. And we've also heard about examples in the orientation and mobility space. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, at the virtual conference and convention, how great was the presentation of Microsoft Soundscape, where they had O&M instructors sharing how, even if they're not providing O&M, broad O&M training in person, there are still things that they can do to train um, students who need O&M training using technology tools like Microsoft Soundscape and setting and sharing GPS markers and beacons with them um, so that they can work on their uh, spatial recognition and mapping of a local area. You know, still finer points like street crossings or identifying tricky or busy intersections, uh, definitely something best done in person, but there are still ways to do some workarounds uh, for those other skills that are so important.
1: Yeah, I know I was listening to the news this morning too, and some of the local school districts so in the Greater Virginia, DC, Maryland area um, are Um, talking about opening schools a little bit earlier specifically for special ed students which is really fascinating you know part of me is like oh that's great you know they recognize that special ed students need more hands-on in-person schooling services um, more significantly than other kids but then at the same time you're like oh well they have to go back in person so definitely some interesting thoughts going on in our country about how we can accommodate students with disabilities
0: And that's something that I think is really interesting to see. So um, Maureen Hayden shared on our last education podcast about uh, her University Texas A&M and the approach that they're taking, um, kind of a a hybrid approach, limiting the boots on campus, uh, limiting class size, having the virtual option um, so that folks can choose uh, to learn in a way that best meets their needs. And I think it's really interesting when we see uh, local school districts doing the same thing because not all students learn in the same way. Not Definitely. all not all disabled or blind students learn in the same way. Um, shocking, news flash, right? What? Um, you're right, <laughs> yeah, throw that on a bumper sticker. We're not all <laughs> the same, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, as much as school districts and universities can have a, a flexible approach, you know, that lovely ACB core value of flexibility uh, to meet the needs of the individual. And it may be that some students learn better in person. It may be that some students have the resources at home that they can be just as successful from home. And by allowing some students to go home, it would keep down the number of students in the classroom and allow uh, the students in the classroom to be more socially distanced but also ensuring that those who need to be in person can get the the education and resources that they need. So I'm really encouraged when I hear um, about the multiple approaches being taken and the the flexibility that's in in place.
1: Yeah I definitely agree. Well Clark let's move on and drive forward and I need to work on my puns, uh, but let's, let's <laughs> oh. drive forward and talk about transportation. <laughs> nah,
0: nah, I'm pumping the brakes here, Claire. Uh, so for people that, um, I guess, feel that they're, they or their students are not getting what they need um, as we move into the fall here for the kicking off the this school year, what are some things that they should do, or what options do they have?
1: Uh, Well, of course, you can always reach out to ACB. We are always, um, I I hate to use the word excited because we don't want to hear that you guys are struggling, but we are always happy to hear from people and would love to assist. Um, There's lots of resources out there. Uh, We'd always encourage people if they need legal assistance to look up your local protection and advocacy office. They have attorneys who specifically deal with special ed, um, if that's your need. So definitely reach out there definitely always reach out to your disability services office at your university if you're in college or grad school levels uh, or situations Um, so take advantage of all the resources that are are out there because you shouldn't just kind of you know go at it alone we want to make sure that you guys have the resources you need to be successful in the education space whether you're a parent of a student or a student yourself um, there are definitely resources to to utilize.
0: And to add to what Claire said, uh, there's been several advocacy update podcasts on education. Um, one just done at the beginning of August or late July, the interviews with um, Tony Stevens from a parent's perspective, Maureen Hayden from a university student's perspective, and Gabriel Lopez Cavadi, the pers- perspective of a college's disability support services staff. As well as we did a podcast with ACB first vice president Mr. Mark Riker um, in his role as interim executive director of AER BVI. Uh, Don't ask me what that stands for. (laughs) <laughs> um, you get special
1: about points if you can name all the letters and that Yeah, <laughs> that
0: Association for Education and Rehabilitation
1: Rehabilitation blind, blind and Visually Impaired. impaired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Woo-hoo. There we go. Uh, but talking about some of the federal uh, policy proposals and initiatives that are going on. Um, so I'd encourage folks to look those up, as well as the podcasts that were done by ACB's Special Education Committee. Uh, Debbie Grubb and her folks put a lot of work into preparing those resources for, for parents and students. And then finally, the point I'd like to add, addition to you know, finding those resources and learning from them, s- start having these conversations yesterday. You know, if you're not sure about what the fall is going to look like, contact uh, your students, teachers or your teachers, contact your school, um, you know board of directors or county supervisors for education, get in touch with your university, find out what potential options are available uh, to you as an individual, as a parent, as a student. Uh, So that way you can develop a plan and act accordingly, um, whether that's receiving the accommodations and resources you need or knowing that uh, the resources that you would like available are not going to be provided and then you can potentially pursue next steps as well.
1: Great, well, shall we move forward?
0: I suppose so. I'll, I'll give you the uh, the green flag.
1: The green flag, is that the color you use when you move forward in a? Uh,
0: that's a little racing term, green means go. So you wave the flag at the start and the-
1: Gotcha. The to go. yeah. I apologize, I don't know my car culture. <sighs>
0: that'll be car culture ACB car culture will be the next
1: podcast (laughs) that's right (laughs) you know autonomous vehicles are coming so yeah cool well we can talk about transportation now because it's definitely been impacted by COVID in a lot of ways and I'm sure everybody who's listening is nodding their head because that's definitely something we we are all impacted by in the blind and visually impaired community Um, public transportation has really been impacted and I'm going to personally say negatively impacted because the options now are really limited and it's hard for those of us who need public transit um, to to get the, uh, the services we need because of COVID. So um, some are, what are some of the things we're seeing? Well um, there are a lot of different policies now out there that have impacted public transit like now you have to load from the back of the bus. I personally don't like that. Finding the doors in the back of the bus that's difficult. (laughs) Um, So some of just the most basic policies that have been implemented are really changing the structure of public transportation. Now I can put out there that most Um, bus systems have made the policy that if you have a disability, you are allowed to load from the front. Um, It's not just wheelchair users. It's all persons with disabilities. So that does include us. However, I always warn people to be conscientious because sometimes bus drivers don't acknowledge that. They think that persons with disabilities only include wheelchair users. Um, So just be really really conscientious of when you're taking public transit that know that you are technically allowed to load from the front as a person who's blind who uses a white cane or a guide dog or have low vision but know that the bus drivers aren't always going to recognize that so just be really really aware of your surroundings when you're using public transportation.
0: And Claire the the foundations of COVID provisions for transportation seem like they're built on shifting sands right so the provisions that are in place one week may change depending on For the sure. level and phase of reopening in a jurisdiction. Um, it's not necessarily uniform across the, the country, let alone the state. It's more by either, either municipal area or transportation service. Um, so again, it's one of the things that as, as users and as people of disabilities, we really need to be up to date and educated. And it, sometimes it may be up to the user to educate the service provider um, on their own policies that they have in place, as well as the fact that our civil rights uh, haven't changed due to COVID.
1: So What? Right?
0: <laughs> so if, if there are protections um, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, guess what, those still apply.
1: Um, I can tell you that ACB is fortunate to be a part of um, a collaboration of other disability advocacy organizations that are constantly advocating for um, the awareness to to transport- major transportation programs that persons with disabilities do need accommodation still during COVID. So we're constantly writing letters to trade organizations like the Amalgamated Transportation Union and other major um, trade trade unions to talk about these issues so that they're aware so i can definitely tell you that communication is constantly going out so hopefully they're hearing it and we're getting some good responses so um, we are definitely making sure that our voice is heard and that these issues aren't just going by the wayside but like clark said it's always hard Um, it's a it's forever moving target but we are definitely trying to get these issues um, on the minds um, of the the transportation services all across the united states
0: That's right. And the the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So we need to be front and center to let transportation officials and policymakers know that, hey, we actually do rely on these services. Uh, So keep the needs of the disability community and these accessibility accommodations in front of mind as these policy decisions are being made. Claire, how has COVID impacted Uh, the legislative imperatives that we have in the transportation space here in 2020?
1: That's a really good question. Um, Literally in my next notes, I was going to talk about that. So we have, as I'm sure many of you have been watching the news and hearing about the different stimulus packages as they've talked about, Um, we are waiting slowly to hear about the fourth stimulus package that's going to come out. Some, they've called them the HEROES Act, the HEALS Act, things like that. There had been a lot of chatter on Capitol Hill that the surface transportation bill, that was one of our imperatives for 2020, if you guys recall from this past year, we wanted language um, in the surface transportation bill that has to be reauthorized by the end of September 2020. So, oh my gosh, that's literally like a month and a half away. We were hoping that language from the surface transportation bill would be built into one of the stimulus packages. And at first, people on Congress were saying, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We can totally do that. Well, I can tell you, now we're hearing, nah, thumbs down. That's not going to happen. And people on uh, Capitol Hill are saying, we don't think that the surface transportation bill is going to go anywhere in 2020 because of COVID. So it'll probably just become a CR continuing resolution, um, get passed on just because it has to, but." no significant movement will happen Um, so unfortunately because of covid our works on the surface transportation bill have really been uh, really been stalled, so it just shows that COVID can, unfortunately, um, unbeknownst to any of us, have a pretty big impact on what we've been working working on. So who would have thought back in February at the legislative seminar when we were talking about the Surface Transportation Bill that something like, like COVID would come in from left field and play such a big um, part in really stalling what we've been working on? So, but that does not mean we're not going to start. Um, stop talking about the surface transportation bill could have, because it's so important to the work that we're doing and we're going to continue to work on those issues. They'll just look a little bit different and probably not happen by the end of September, 2020.
0: ACB and our partners in the cross-disability community, we were successful to get some language included in the house surface transportation bill that would create a pilot program in paratransit allowing for one-stop or an interim stop during a paratransit trip. So for example, if somebody needed to drop their kid off at school or childcare prior to going to work, um, remember when people used to do that, uh, <laughs>
1: that,
0: That would that would be a possibility. Or for example, someone goes to their doctor's office for an appointment, and they can schedule a paratransit trip to stop by their pharmacy and pick up a prescription on their way home.
1: And just for that, I want to do a, that's called the data bill, the DATA bill, um, and just want to do a, a a call out for Langevin's office because Langevin was really behind that. So um, we're really appreciative and we hope to see that included in some of the future bills that move forward. It'll be, it won't be a standalone. It would be like Clark said, rolled into some of the other bills moving forward. So,
0: And Claire here in the the Washington DC area, um, the, what is it a uh, WMATA uh, Washington Metro uh, something transit, administration
1: <laughs> I was gonna see if you could get that Washington, was
0: Washington Metro area Transit Association
1: I, I think so yeah yeah
0: they they just had a recent uh, policy change to basically increase the availability of the DC Metro the train subway train service mm-hmm. to make the trains run more frequently as well as open up additional stations so certainly for folks in the DC area, If you do need to run errands or uh, go back to work in an office, that's certainly a a welcomed revision. And I'm sure different parts of the country transit systems are assessing the needs and health and safety of their employees as well as passengers so that they can bring back these services and bring them back online in a more full capacity as well. With that said, initial reports uh, from Metro here in D.C. is that they will not, they don't anticipate being at full service until spring of 2021.
1: Yeah. Yeah not not so exciting, not so good, and to accompany that, the way that the Americans with Disabilities Act works for paratransit services, and most of us use paratransit in some way, shape, or form, um, you only have to have paratransit services that run parallel with public transit services in your area, so if public transit is cut legally, they can cut down uh paratransit which is quite a bummer for those of us who rely on it because you know it we need more than ever we need paratransit to do Mm -hmm. basic things like going to the grocery store so thankfully here in the dc area they've done a pretty good job of continuing paratransit services with certain limitations but if your community is having significant cuts to paratransit please let us know again they have the right to do that um if your public systems have been um you know, lowered in that kind of thing, but we can always assess, are they doing it to the right level? Are they cutting it down more than they should? So let us know if that's becoming, um, you know, a a big problem. We can always assess if they're doing it right or if they're abusing um, the limitations. So definitely, definitely let us know.
0: And Claire, here in the DC area as a a paratransit user, um, what changes have you noticed both I guess, negative, maybe reductions in service, as well as any interesting or improvements that they've offered to make the service more usable?
1: Well, I've joked that ironically, I like it better because they have a new policy where they only, drive one passenger at a time for obvious health reasons. And so what used to take a longer time actually can take a shorter time because they're not doing one drop off and then your drop off. Um, so you have no no pit stops along the way or whatever you want to call it. So ironically, I've appreciated it more because I, I go from point A to point B with no no stops in between. So there are some silver linings there, ironically. So, um, But they do announce that you're only supposed to use paratransit for essential services now they're not going to like you know demand that you say what it is so if you just want to go hang out with Clark and steal his food from his refrigerator they're not going to ask if that's an essential ride but they do ask you that you only use paratransit for essential um you know rides and services and things like that so um, and uh, the, the DMV area has done a great job of continuing to provide paratransit services. We haven't had any significant cuts. They've done a really good job. But again, we're only one region of the country. Um, every region is different. And I know we've heard differing um, reports from people all over the United States. So,
0: Yes, and the feedback that uh, members and transportation forum attendees provided at this year's virtual conference and convention, uh, that really helps you know, color in the landscape and give us a good sense of uh, what people's priorities are when it comes to paratransit. Uh, for example, Claire was saying she likes the the solo rides, you know, and being chauffeured around and not having a, a shared ride. You know, is that a higher priority for folks than timely service? Um, you know and things like that so important information that will certainly help us um, you know, advocate effectively for the priorities that our listeners care about the most
1: and i know we did a previous podcast on it but shout out again to Ron Brooks, Becky Davidson, and Sheila Styron for doing some great assessments through our national convention to really give us that data and that input so that going forward, when we advocate for transportation um, issues, we can take the opinions of our members um, and really know how to advocate effectively. So, um, thank you very much to those three amazing leaders that we can use to move forward, to drive forward change. Yeah, you like that?
0: didn't you already use that one
1: you know there are only so many words I'm working on it I'm working on it (laughs) oh gosh well do you have any last transportation words of wisdom Clark
0: no no I think we covered the the waterfront here and as always like Claire said if paratransit has been changing um in your view negatively to have a a truly adverse impact on the usership of the service as well as public transportation in your area, please reach out and let us know.
1: Or even other, you know, of course, public transportation is the big issue that we work on. But if Uber and Lyft have been impacted in other ways, taxi services, um, even things more, we call them environmental access issues here at ACB. So things like intersections, crosswalks, flow of traffic. I mean, COVID is really touching on everything in some unforeseen um, ways. Let us know, because the infrastructure of the community quickly dovetails with the public transit itself. They work in concert. So let us know if anything has come up. Cool, so the next thing we can talk about, which is very timely, healthcare. I mean, we don't need healthcare, right? I mean, COVID isn't that big of a deal, right?
0: Well, I just don't plan on getting sick, Claire.
1: Oh, does it does. Do you have yeah. like the willpower? You can just will away the ability not to get sick.
0: That's right. I'm just going to stay home. Um, I've you know, tied a mattress to my back and a pillow to my head. And <laughs> I'm just going to hunker down like a turtle, try to hibernate uh, yeah. until all this is over.
1: Yeah, I, well, we'll see if that works. Yeah. On the on the topic of staying healthy, do you have any really cool masks you're rocking, like any cool patterns or colors?
0: No, although I did, well, we've watched so many things here in the age of COVID, um, but my wife and I and our friends were big fans of the Netflix series that first um, aired in Spain. Um Okay. And I am, we just called it, geez, we just called it the murder show, even though it wasn't about murderers. <laughs> it was about bank robbers. Uh, Money Heist, I think, was the name of the okay. show. Uh-huh. And the the main characters, the the bank robbers, basically, they all wore Dali masks. Ooh. Um, yes. So I've been thinking about just getting you know, some Dali masks. And those who will know, <laughs> know. And otherwise, folks will just think I'm wearing a funky mask.
1: I like it. I like yeah. it.
0: Yeah. How about you? Do you have a a two lane mask?
1: I don't have a two lane mask. Although Guide Dogs for the Blind shout out—they um, have some um, COVID masks you can buy from purchase from their gift shop—and I'm sure other schools have those now too. So, um, no, I went on Etsy and bought a couple cute ones because I figured you know if you're gonna have to deal with it, you might as well rock it. So, I have a we were- assortment.
0: We were at a national park last weekend, and my wife Greta said that the park ranger was wearing a Smokey the Bear, uh, basically <laughs> a bear face mask, and I thought that was pretty cool.
1: I yeah. like it. Know, know your idea. audience
0: at a national park, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Nice. Well, we, we obviously just went off topic, but health care, <laughs> I mean, it's all related to health, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, healthcare, how has that been impacted by COVID? Clearly not at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, so many uh, hospitals as well as doctor's offices are trying more so at the beginning of COVID. Um, Of course, there's been policy changes now, but especially initially, um, folks were trying to limit routine appointments and services and trying to limit for especially hospitals Um, access from anyone who was not experiencing COVID symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So that way they could really focus on uh, folks with the virus and potential cutting down on the potential spread of the virus and limiting uh, regularly scheduled appointments, as well as elective surgeries, uh, just trying to free up capacity there. Uh, But as a result, a lot of folks started to move and the government even offered some additional flexibility around virtual healthcare services. Isn't that right, Claire?
1: Yes. And we all know that when you go virtual and you do something, you know, via technology, it's all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and perfect for the blind community, right? Websites are always perfect and software is always perfect, right? That's, you know, that's my lived experience.
0: <laughs> That's right. And this of course was is the on.
1: sarcasm portrayed well in my voice today.
0: <laughs> oh, is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of of course, uh health IT, e health records, um, as well as accessible, durable medical equipment. This is all issues that are uh you know none too familiar for ACB members. Uh, we've, we've never had these experiences before. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So this is an issue that was already on on our radar, as well as our affiliates and members. Um, and it just brought it more to the forefront. Yeah, So
1: just exacerbated the problem, yeah.
0: We were glad to see and advocated for um, accessibility as well as telephonic uh, doctors consultations and that was in the the cares act the third stimulus bill you know, not as robust as we would all hope but it is still an option for initial consultations and doctors appointments um, that they could be done over the telephone and that certainly adds some additional flexibility for folks that may not have internet access or be comfortable with a computer or smartphone or the video portals are just out non-accessible.
1: Yeah, not accessible at all. Yeah. So those are definitely things we want to hear from people. Um, If the software that your doctors are using for um, health appointments are inaccessible, let us know. We definitely be happy to advocate for you. Um, I know I've had a couple of Zoom doctor's appointments in the last several months, and um, thankfully we all know Zoom is pretty accessible, but let us know what different programs your doctor's offices are using, because um, that's you know potentially a really big issue. So we all know technology can be a blessing and a curse for the blind community sometimes.
0: And possibly a great time to investigate um, accessible uh, prescriptions. Whether mm-hmm. that's the new Spoken RX launched and announced at the ACB virtual Conference and convention by CVS, or the great work that Envision America is doing with Script Talked and the ever expanding availability of that service. And also, I know our pharmacies have really been pushing for the at home delivery of mm-hmm. prescriptions you know where available and when possible and that's something that i've never really considered before you know and i always like the certainty of going to the pharmacy at a, a date and time certain and being able to pick up the prescription but now i can certainly see why folks would want that convenience of prescriptions being packed properly and dropped off at your doorstep
1: yeah for sure Um, one other, um, healthcare related issue that I would love to hear, I've actually heard it from a couple of people already, but I'd love to hear more are about COVID testing sites because most COVID testing sites are drive throughs which obviously Mm. is not going to help us. um, unless we have, unless somebody has access to a cool autonomous vehicle already. And if you do give me a call, I want to try it. Um, but to my knowledge, those are not quite off the, off the assembly line yet. So, Uh, We want to hear people's experiences, you know, if you want to go in and get tested and it's only a drive-through situation, are they willing to make an accommodation for you to have an alternative way of doing it? What's that look like? Um, Like I said, I've already had a few reports about this, so um, definitely want to hear what people are doing and how that works.
0: And we know that the ACB members and the Florida Council of the Blind, um, that they've been on top of this issue in Uh, Miami Dade County, when they first rolled out uh, drive in only testing sites, and the protection advocacy organization, Disability Rights Florida, has been on top of this issue down there. And again, a lot of times, much like transportation and education, um, education is really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. When local jurisdictions are making these policies, they're not necessarily thinking how it impacts people with disabilities. So it's Unfortunately, the burden a lot of times falls on us and our members to educate them, um, to raise these issues, make them aware of them if there are not accommodations in place.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You mean people don't think about us immediately?
0: (laughs) There's so many ways to go with that one. Claire.
1: (laughs) I mean, people think about me specifically. I know that.
0: Right. Oh, they're, they're thinking something about you right now. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, keep us posted if there's anything in the health field, obviously it goes without saying that health the health field is one of the biggest and most important components of our lives right now, whether we like it or not. So if there are any access issues, whether it be telehealth or physical access or, Who knows? Um, Let us know because it's more important than ever that we have access to health care.
0: And I'll just add that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, uh, has made some really good recommendations and guidelines for health and safety during COVID, whether that's for the classroom uh, or a topic that we'll touch on in a little bit, voting when you're going to the polling place. Uh, Basically, wear a mask, don't touch anything. Wash your hands frequently. Use all the hand sanitizer and stay away from people. That's really what it boils down to. And Claire, what are we seeing on the the rehab front?
1: Yeah, so I won't talk too too long about this because fortunately I haven't heard anything in a while. But I just wanted to flag for our listeners that we had heard in the early days of COVID, at least that um, some VOC rehab services from state VR programs um, were floundering a little bit on providing services during COVID. Um, They had said that they couldn't provide services remotely, that they had to be in person. And as a result, they were delaying the process people weren't getting things like assistive tech or school funding. So VR was kind of floundering to figure out how to provide services virtually or arguing that they couldn't provide things virtually at all. And so obviously we don't want things to come to a screeching halt just because of COVID because people have to go to school in order to get jobs and things like that. So um, I just wanted to highlight this. So if anybody's having issues, let us know so we can address them and figure out what's going on. So, yeah.
0: And then one more item on this front. Claire, you helped draft a letter for ACB um, just in the last week or two with regards to provisions from a bill called the Safe to Work Act. And the provisions of that bill were included in the draft COVID 4 stimulus uh, in the US Senate referred to as the HEALS Act. But what were some of the provisions of the Safe to Work Act, and why did ACB feel it necessary to weigh in?
1: Um, I apologize. I am blanking for a second on all the provisions. Do you mind expanding a little bit and I can jump in?
0: Absolutely. So the Safe to Work Act um, was a, a bill, and the intent of this bill is to provide some liability protections um, for employers so that they can have
1: employees
0: come back to work for folks who have been furloughed or laid off. Um, So the businesses could be up and running and avoid any lawsuits or liability related to COVID. Um, But they Mm -hmm. included some additional provisions that we did not think were necessary or appropriate. Right, Claire?
1: Yeah, so kind of the big scare might be a harsh word, but the big scare with legislation like this, and I've heard of, um, pushes for similar things in the past is that if you try to take the liability away from employers is one of the areas we've talked about significantly, but it could be other business as well. If you take the liability away from these companies to say, oh, well, you know, because of COVID, we won't hold you responsible, that can easily be abused. You know, um, we want to make sure that the Americans with Disabilities Act is not chipped away at, it's not... Um, lessened because of liability arguments that, yes, we don't want people to be you know thrown on the bus um, litigation-wise because of COVID, but no, employers, they still have to provide accommodations for people with disabilities. They can't say, oh, well, because of COVID, this is going to happen, so we're not providing accommodations. So we want to make sure that the ADA is held up um, as strong as it can and that it's not chipped away in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yes, and the scary part about this bill was that there were specific references to the employee protections of the Americans with Disabilities Act and providing uh, cover for employee employers to not provide accommodations under the ADA Mm -hmm. um, due to COVID. So that's
1: which is kind of scary because the the Americans with Disabilities Act has a long history throughout the legal system of Title One, specifically Title One deals with employment. There's a long legal history of Title One really being, um, you know, worked away at, and that was something that the ADA Amendments Act of 2008 uh, really stepped back into to repair. So heaven forbid we see once again, that happening. So I think that's why we're all a little anxious to say, don't touch it.
0: <laughs> yes, and ACB, NFB, and AFB all sent letters to Congress on this issue. Um, and Claire, the ADA already has a waiver process in place for undue burden, correct? That's-
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, we often use the, the language from the ADA, the direct threat argument that, um, you know, if the accommodation one is an undue burden, and if the accommodation would be a direct threat to the other employees, then they don't have to do it. So um, there's always, like you said, there's always little bit, already that safeguard in place. So we don't have to go above and beyond because it's already there. It already exists to protect an employer from providing an undue burden and for that person coming in with an accommodation request to present a direct threat to both the employee themselves as well as the employer and the other co-workers. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel or make it even stronger because it's already there, it's already present in the law.
0: Exactly.
1: Cool. Well, yeah. So, as far as work goes, we're continuing to keep an eye on what's going on. Um, you know, I said facetiously at the beginning that employment hasn't been impacted at all, but we know that it has for you know millions of Americans and um, Americans with disabilities are always disproportionately impacted in the employment area. So, if anything's going on, please let us know. So, Clark, I think we can move on to the next topic, which, <laughs> I'll be facetious again, hasn't been impacted at all. I think this thing in November's coming up. Uh, what is that little thing in November coming up?
0: Oh, is that someone's birthday?
1: Um, I don't think it's a birthday. I think it's a pretty oh, landmark national thing. Yeah, what is yeah, that? Yeah,
0: presidential election.
1: Oh, November, yeah, that's important, isn't it? Every
0: four years. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And where all members of Congress are up for re-election and roughly a third of the U.S. senators are up for re-election, not to mention the state and the local elections that
1: all kinds may, of things.
0: are occurring all throughout the country. And much like every other aspect of our lives due to COVID, the landscape for elections is changing dramatically. So this year um, it is, I don't know the exact numbers, but the number of people voting absentee or remote or voting by mail is expected to expand exponentially. And this is due to a number of factors. Uh, One, election jurisdictions are trying to limit uh, the number of people that are voting in person due to safety and health reasons. Two, election workers are <laughs> are saying that they're not going to show up. They're, uh, they're pulling out uh, because many of the election workers in the U.S., Are older Americans who are more susceptible to the virus and they don't want to be exposed in public.
1: Who Um, can blame them, yeah.
0: Exactly. So as a result, jurisdictions are consolidating polling locations, uh, moving to more central locations, uh, limiting the number of poll workers that will be needed, and then third, individual voters. Uh, don't want to put themselves at risk if they can avoid it. Yeah. So already in primaries uh, for in-person voting, we have witnessed and read about and heard about um, waits of 5, 7, or 12 hours um, in you know, socially distant lines wrapping around multiple city blocks for folks to vote in person. Um, But then, also with the explosion of vote by mail and absentee voting, we've heard about ballots not showing up or it taking much, much longer than anticipated to count um, or confirmation not being received that a ballot was returned successfully. Mm -hmm. And then, Claire, there's also this issue about vote by mail being done with paper ballots.
1: Yeah. So you get a ballot in the mail. Generally speaking, you're not going to open up a box with the computer that has JAWS on it that's beautifully accessible that you can vote. That's just not a thing. Usually you get an envelope with just an old school piece of paper. I don't know about you, Clark, but I would guess that a very large fraction of those members of ACB cannot read it in regular print. Um, You either need large print or braille or whatever. So we need to start thinking of how we can make absentee voting or vote by mail accessible for those of us who are blind or visually impaired. And so it's something that ACB, as well as many other advocacy organizations, have been working on for, you know, even prior to COVID, have been working on for a long time. But COVID has really helped to um, accelerate this, this issue and to work on it because, I don't want to go to the polling place. I don't want to expose myself to COVID. So we are advocating in all kinds of different ways to encourage, I use that word, encourage states to find ways to make their um, vote by mail or absentee voting practices accessible for us. Um, So even before COVID, some states did have policies already in place to do that they all look different um, and arguably some are better than others for instance in maryland where i reside because of a um a case called nfb v Limon, um, you can vote via your computer you can uh, download an electronic ballot fill it out electronically but you still have to print it out put it in an envelope and send it off which arguably isn't ideal california has a similar system Um, But we are hoping to see something um, go the whole the whole way. Um, So ACB has been involved in several different um, cases, for instance, in the state of New York, um, we've done some work in West Virginia, um, that actually didn't have to go to uh, go to the courts, it went through a piece of legislation. Uh, we've also put a, a complaint through the U.S. Department of Justice Disability Rights section, so you name it, we're trying to turn over every stone to find different ways to advocate for the change in legislation or to go through a lawsuit, if necessary, to change state policies.
0: And as Claire said, here shout out to the, the Mountain State Council of the Blind in West Virginia, <laughs> as well as the Bay State Council of the Blind in Massachusetts who are able to work to have legislation passed for accessible absentee voting. Um, ACB has worked with our members and affiliates in Idaho and New York to file complaints with the Department of Justice um, Disability Rights Section. And then there's also litigation pending with ACB and our affiliate members in um, New York, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. And we've certainly had conversations with many members and affiliates uh, in other states, working with them to help effectively impact the accessibility of remote absentee voting, both for primary elections and as we move towards the fall.
1: And as we've done those, the legal work as well as pushing legislation. Just a shout out to the legal help we've had from groups like the different state protection and advocacy offices um, to the law firm itself, Disability Rights Advocates, um, as well as the Washington Lawyers Committee here in DC. So we've had some great allies to work with in the legal and legislative forum.
0: And our friends at Shepherd Mullen,
1: Thank who have you. helped yes. in
0: several states as well.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, I feel like we could talk all day about COVID, but I think we have talked for quite some time. Um, yes. It's a big issue and knock on wood, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. Um, so Clark and I, as well as all of ACB and all the state affiliates are going to continue to work on any and all issues that arise because of COVID. So please, again, always reach out to us at acb at advocacy.org with any issues that come up in your personal lives, but again, also with issues that are the product of COVID. We wanna know what's going on.
0: And I'll just restate that email address is advocacy at acb.org. And I will also encourage folks, if you wanna become more educated on voting uh, to visit the accessible voting Toolkit on the yep. ACB website at acb.org slash voting. Uh, You can also visit the acb.org homepage and then link to the COVID response page that is linked from the homepage uh, to read about uh, different tools and resources that are available, as well as the advocacy work that ACB has been doing during this time of COVID.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Great.
0: And one more plug out there one issue we did not talk about on this podcast. Um, The changes that are occurring at the U.S. Postal Service, this is still a shifting landscape that we are monitoring closely. And we know that on ACV Radio this Sunday, it'll be featured on Sunday edition with Anthony Corona. So if you're interested to hear about what's going on with the U.S. Postal Service, tune in on Sunday.
1: Awesome. Great plug. Well, in this crazy time of COVID where things are forever shifting and it seems like there's a new issue every day, Clark, what should we do?
0: Keep advocating.